Jack is lost. How many of you watched faithfully when Lost was on among the 15 million Americans on a regular basis? I wasn't one of them, so I had to kind of look up some things here in that clip. But Jack is lost. He's in an unfamiliar place. He wakes up in a jungle and a beach, and, and uh, he's among the 48 uh, survivors of Oceanic Air Flight 815 as they had a near-fatal plane crash, and they fend for themselves as they fight unusual occurrences on a deserted island. How many of you have been lost before? Yeah, I found yourself maybe this weekend. A lot of guys are shaking their heads. Uh, but sometimes you kind of take a wrong turn, and you find yourself in an unfamiliar, unfamiliar place, and you don't recognize the surroundings, and it's kind of unnerving. I remember back when I was in middle school, I, I grew up in rural Wisconsin, and uh, my parents were gone. I had a baseball game, so I had to ride, ride my bike about five miles to my, uh, my Babe Ruth baseball game. And uh, went to the game, and, and we had actually just moved uh, in uh, uh, the house we were living in. We had just moved there a few months before that. And after the game, I had to ride my bike back another five miles. And somewhere along the way, I took a wrong turn. And it kept going and kept going. And that kind of male gene kicked in. I, w- I refused to ask somebody for directions. I just kept going and going and found myself actually about eight miles from home. And it was driving in down, this downtown uh, uh, small town, and I had my baseball uniform. And, you know, the, the tip for me is everybody was kind of looking at me really strangely. And that was an unfamiliar place. And I remember I was riding my bike, and I, I didn't recognize people. I didn't recognize the surroundings. It was, it was unnerving. And, and, and finally, I, I saw an elderly lady uh, on her front lawn, watered her flowers, and I just pulled my bike up and said, can I use your phone? I need to call my mom. <laughs> I'm lost. Yeah. It's unnerving, and whether you've been lost or maybe you've moved or you've traveled and and you find yourself in an unfamiliar area with unfamiliar people, with unfamiliar sights and sounds, it can be uncomfortable. It it, it can be kind of a challenging feeling, and that's sort of the backdrop for the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to be in this, this Old Testament book from this ancient prophet for the next six weeks, and... We find Daniel, and, and he's, him, him and his friends, they find themselves in an unfamiliar area with unfamiliar people, with unfamiliar sights and sounds. And, and they're not lost, though. They're in exile. Babylon has taken, taken uh, the Israelites away, and they're far from their home. We pick it up here in Daniel chapter 1, uh, verse 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the pew Bibles or the slides behind me. In uh, verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. There he carried off the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Just in the opening verses here of this book, these memoirs from, from Daniel, we find out a lot. We find out a lot. They're in an unfamiliar city, an unfamiliar culture. They're in Babylon. You'll see a picture behind me of Babylon. Uh, this is a picture of Babylon, kind of a painting of at uh, sunset. And Babylon's located in, in modern-day Iraq, about 55 miles or so south of, of Baghdad. And as, at the time, as Dan- Daniel writes, Babylon was full of luxury and full of power. And they overtook uh, Jerusalem and took the people out of there and took them into exile. And Babylon, Babylon was known for a lot of things, luxury and palaces and mansions and thrones and, 
And it actually had one of the known seven wonders of the world. You see a picture of this. It's called the Hanging Gardens. And it was kind of a tourist attraction back in the day. One of the seven wonders of the world. And people would actually go to Babylon to see these hanging gardens. They actually see this uh, right in the city. But besides this, as, as we find out here in verse 2, Daniel lets us know right away, you know, it's not just a city of luxury. It's not just a city of, of hanging gardens and, and wonders and things like that. Right away, he says here in verse 2, this is a place of, of evil. It's a place of, of idolatry, false worship. It, it tells us right here that the king has other gods. So Daniel wakes up. He wakes up, and, and, and he's in the city, and, and, and he's in an unfamiliar place, kind of like Jack in that opening scene. It's different. The surroundings are different. The religious practices are different. The customs are different. And it's very unnerving. Imagine for a moment that you're like Daniel. I want to invite you in this series to kind of put yourselves in, in, in Daniel's shoes here. Well, I think one of, the, one of the important steps that we need to take when it comes to the Scriptures is we believe it happened, that this is historically accurate, it's fact, it happened, but also that it happens, present tense. Our desire is to kind of transport you as we go through this book into the setting and kind of imagine what it would be like for you and then make the application in your own life. We pick it up here in verse 6. It's not only just an unfamiliar place and unfamiliar people, all of a sudden they're given some unfamiliar names. Verses 6 and 7 of of chapter 1. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. And Daniel gets a new name. And then the other three guys, uh, as as we know, if you grew up in church or in Sunday school, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have different names. It's like everything's changing. Can you relate to that for a moment? And and as I've been preparing for this uh, series and this teaching, I began to think about Daniel, and I bet at some point, at some point, he probably wanted to give up. He wanted to perhaps go back to home if he could. And and, and maybe the, the, the challenge and the temptation to compromise and to actually become like one of the Babylonians. To actually begin to adopt some of their practices. I mean, everything has changed. He's not at home anymore. He has a new name, new surroundings, new people. And why not? Scholars believe that, that Daniel was well aware of the prophecies of, of Jeremiah at the time. That this exile wasn't going to be a short stint. It wasn't going to be this sort of vacation on a beach on an island. That this was going to be 70 years long. I think there's the, very much the possibility of, of, of Daniel wanting to adopt and to just kind of compromise and go in this way. But he doesn't. Here's the key verse. I think this is probably the key verse of the entire book. But right there it changes. Everything's unfamiliar. Everything's different. Everything has changed. But in the midst of all this change... But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. But Daniel takes a stand. He he has this resolve to, to be different. 
that he's going to remain faithful. And, and, and perhaps you're inquiring, what's the food, what's the wine, and things like that. But let that be sort of a metaphor or a symbol uh, of Daniel's faithfulness and his resolve to be different in this unfamiliar culture with unfamiliar people, with an unfamiliar name. That, that Daniel resolves, but Daniel resolves to be different. That he is not going to compromise. He is not going to go in this, in this way. He doesn't give in. Now, as we read in verse 8, where it says Daniel is not going to have the food and, and, and wine, um, it may not seem like a big deal for you that he's rejecting that, the choice of food. But when you really climb within the Old Testament, uh, namely uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, uh, you realize that food was very much a part of the identity of, pe- of God's people. That there were certain things in there um, that was, was tied into um, their identity as the people of God, and food was one of them. So th- this is a big step by Daniel. They say, no. I'm not going to go in this way. I'm going to live differently for God. You pick pick it up in verse 12. If you want to move down in your Bible to verse 12. And Daniel sort of kind of throws this out there, and it's a very courageous statement. He says this in verses 12 through 17. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who had ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So spinach has spiritual meaning to it, right? Broccoli vegetables. Now, parents, you can have a field day with this passage here. There's a lot, a lot that could be said around this. But they choose vegetables and, and water and, and to see that courage um, for them to, to step out in that way. Verse 17, look at God does. does he, these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Then the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll just say. So they entered the king's service. Okay, over these next six weeks, um, if there's anything that you take away from, from this series, it is to use the example of, of Daniel and these three friends of his um, to encourage you for, for uh, these verses to speak to you, to live differently. And, and maybe this fall, you find yourself at a new high school. Or maybe you find yourself this fall at a new college. Or maybe you have a new job or a new workplace. Or you're in a new department and, and, and things are unfamiliar. Unfamiliar people, unfamiliar things. Or maybe you find yourself in a new neighborhood and, and, and perhaps you just uh, moved recently to this area. Let Daniel speak to you. Daniel says, remain faithful. Remain faithful to God. Don't give in to a compromise. Don't compromise your love for God and your values. Be different. 
Or maybe you find yourself here this morning and nothing has really changed in your life. And, and, and maybe for Daniel, it's to echo, it's to reiterate, it's to reaffirm that as a follower of Jesus, that you are to be different. And for us to assess, perhaps for, for those of us where there's really nothing new or unfamiliar, but, but maybe to assess, have I blended in so much with the culture? Because this book is about the intersection of faith and culture. Um, it's for us to ask, have I really um, blended in too much with the culture and the world I live in? Can your coworkers, can your neighbors, can your friends tell there's something different about you? That there's something different. And that's the voice of Daniel. Be different. And as I get going here, when I say be different, I'm not talking about like being weird. You know, does anybody remember Urkel on TV? Okay, we're not saying Urkel weird. Um, obviously, there's, we're talking about something else to be the people of God, to live in a different way. But before I kind of break out a few things for us to kind of take home with us, I think uh, one of the things that I found myself wanting, really wanting to say, because it was, it was kind of a temptation for me to jump ahead and, and jump into some of the content here, but, but I think being different is hard. I, I think uh, you, when you read studies, or if you know anything about sociology or psychology, deep inside of us, we want to be accepted. We want to fit in. We want to blend in with our surroundings. We don't want to stand out. Whether you're 12 years old or you're 42 years old, um, you go anywhere in the world. Being homogenous, I think, is, is kind of a chief characteristic of, of being human. Um, I remember, uh, actually, an example in my life, when we moved, uh, my family moved from western Wisconsin to Minnesota my sophomore year. I didn't know anybody at all. And I, could, I can kind of relate with, with Daniel. Uh, we moved from a town of 1,006 to a town of 35,000. My class size went from 35 to 450. And that was a bit unsettling. Uh, we moved from western Wisconsin to uh, Cottage Grove, a suburb of St. Paul. And I remember uh, I was a sophomore. My sister was a junior. And I remember uh, one of the hardest times of the day in the first couple of months was actually lunch um, because that's when it really hit. And I'd go to lunch and didn't know anybody at all. And, and for the first couple of months or so before I began to make some friends, and some lifelong friends at that. But those first couple of months, I'd sit at, at the lunch table all by myself and kind of look around and, and you know, notice the different groups and different cliques. And it was very unsettling. I remember sometimes, actually, I would skip lunch because I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to stand out. And, and, and the, so this challenge is it's hard for us because we want to fit in. We want to fit in. And yet, if I can summarize anything about the Scriptures about the story of God, the mission of God. I think one of the things that we see through the Bible is that the people of God are, are always a peculiar people. They're different, but they're, but they're peculiar. There's something about them. When you read from Exodus and on, all the way into the New, New Testament, the people of God align their lives differently than, than the rest of culture. Um, being relevant isn't really, the, you know, the big topic for them. They're to live differently. 
and, and to live differently in, in a way to attract. There's an attractional aspect to being peculiar, where, where people would be interested, why do you do that? Or, or which God do you worship? And you fast forward and you get in the New Testament, and you see that, that early on um, in the book of Acts, the believers of Jesus Christ aren't called Christians most of the time. Actually, a different term is used. They're called followers of the way because there's something distinct. There's something different. There's something peculiar about the way they live their lives. They're followers of the way. There's a pattern. There's a way that they go about things. They're different. They're different. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. This is from the New Living Translation. He says this, Therefore, come out from among believers. Be different. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. And I will be your father, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. To be different. As Paul writes this, that became kind of a mark of these early followers of Christ, is to be different. Well, I want to share some observations this morning about being different because it's not like all of a sudden you wake up and, you know, I'm going to be different for, for the you know, name of God or I'm going to be different um, for God's purposes. Um, for, for living differently, I, I think it requires some things for that to happen. I think there's a few things just as we read Daniel that I think is evident there in terms of being different and what's required in being different. First of all, being different requires a conviction. Otherwise, it's just kind of a fad. It's just a, another thing. It's, a, it's another posture in life. To actually be different, as, as we see here in Daniel, I believe deep down he had a conviction. I don't think when he got to Babylon, he decided, okay, I'm going to live for God now. It wasn't like when he was in exile that, that all of a sudden him and his friends decided, because these are young men, 14, 15 years of age, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, young guys. I don't think they decide once they get in the city and they kind of wake up and it's, everything's unfamiliar and they have new names and everything, that they decide, okay, we're going to live for Yahweh God, that, that we're going to actually align our lives um, like the people of God. I believe there was something deep inside of them before that, that they had a conviction, that they had a conviction, whether they were in Judah or in Babylon, that they were going to stand for the Lord God Almighty. And that conviction, I think, was founded and centered upon a love for God. It's evident throughout the book of Daniel. They have a deep love for God, which enables this sort of kind of conviction. And look at verse 12. As Daniel says this in verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. Okay, to, to say something like that to a government official of Babylon, it was very risky. It took a lot of courage to do something like that. We read in a similar way what Nehemiah does uh, when he comes with, with a, like a downcast demeanor to the king in Nehemiah. Um, very risky for these guys to do something like that. They could have been perhaps, you know, put on a lower, uh, a lower level. They could have been put in prison for something like this. But Daniel has, I believe, this, this conviction. Please test your servants. I, I love this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, 
Uh, it's kind of a word picture as, as Paul writes this, and it reminds me so much of, of these opening words in Daniel. Paul writes this, hold on to what is good. Have, have a conviction. Have a conviction. And the Greek for this uh, verb that Paul uses, uh, hold on to, is kachecho. Uh, it means to hold on fast. It keeps secure. Can I keep a firm possession? And it reminds me one time in our starter house that we had in St. Paul, uh, we had a detached garage, and we had a winter storm like we do in Minnesota on a regular basis. Uh, and I was coming from the detached garage, and I had little Allison in my arms. And, and I remember walking down the sidewalk and, and trying to get to our house, and I was holding her and clutching her so, so closely. I had firm possession of my daughter Allison. I was holding on to her. That's exactly what kind of Paul is trying to get across here is hold on, clutch on, clutch on to that which is good. The, the values and, 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 and some of the distinctives of the kingdom of God, hold on to those things. Don't let go. Hold them closely. Have firm possession of that. Have you resolved in your heart and your mind that you're going to hold on to that which is good? As we talk about being different, do you have, do you have that made up in your mind and your heart that you're going to stand, you're going to hold on to that which is good, you're going to hold on to that which is from God and, and take a stand with that? Love Isaiah 6 8 when God says, Who's going to stand up for me? Who among the people are, are going to stand up for me and, and, and be different? Who are those people? And Isaiah says, Me. Here I am. I'm going to take the stand. So perhaps this morning, as we talk about being different, is that you're going to take a stand. And maybe it's at work. And maybe it's among your friends. And maybe, maybe it's just subtle steps, small steps, where you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stand. I'm not going to join in that conversation. I'm not going to participate in that gossip or uh, that character assassination of a person. You know, in the past, I, I perhaps gave into that or laugh at, at some of the things that were said, but, but I'm, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to live differently. Because the ways of God are different from that. And maybe on this point is begin thinking about what are some of those things? What are those some, some of those things that that you could stand up for? Those opportunities. And maybe over these next six weeks, you kind of keep a log. Maybe on a post-it note on your desk or on the whiteboard at home is is uh, the opportunity or the event that occurred. And then your choice is kind of keep track of that. And I think there's a lot of these small things that happen each day where we have the opportunity to take a stand, to be different with that kind of conviction. Next, I think being different requires an orientation to life, that there's spiritual habits that we're engaging in on a regular basis. Back in January, Chad and I teamed up on a, a series of teachings called Stronger. And on one of those teachings, I, I talked about the importance of spiritual habits. And I think Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we see the expression, but I think not only do they have conviction, but also uh, I, I think there is regular practices, and we'll actually see prayer throughout the book of Daniel. 
But I believe there's, there's, there's regular practices that they engaged in that really gave them strength, that, that really enabled them, empowered by the work of God, to live in a different way. It's not simply being different for different sake, or it's not simply a, a decision. It, it's founded. Uh, it's resource, I believe, one of the main resources is through spiritual habits. And I'm just going to kind of walk you through some examples here. You may want to write these down. Just some, some easy-to-follow spiritual habits. The first one is on reading the Scriptures. Reading the Bible is taking some time. And we, and we have an insert called SOAP that during this, these six weeks that you can follow along in the book of Daniel and follow along chapter by chapter as we go through this book together. And maybe for you, one of the spiritual habits that you need to incorporate is reading the Scriptures and meditating upon it. I'd like to challenge you with this, is to write this down. I'd like you to memorize verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. Maybe as a church, that we can have a challenge around Scripture memory. Because that's an important spiritual habit. As we read the Scriptures, as we meditate upon it, is to memorize it, to hide God's Word in our heart so that we don't sin against God. And so that we can stand up for him and we can be different. That God's word is, is, is in our heart. And to memorize verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I think that's possible. I think that's doable by next week. Katie Smith's going to preach next week. So I'm going to encourage Katie to kind of have you guys do something around some accountability, I guess, on chapter 1, verse 8. So um, anyway, scripture memory is a is a good thing. When I say accountability, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. We're not going to have, like, you know, the church police or something in the aisles. You know, we're not, we're not going to do that. Anyways, reading the scriptures. Uh, next, as I mentioned, prayer. And we'll actually have one of the uh, teachings, one of the sermons on this series just on the prayers of Daniel and the example of prayer throughout this book. Next, personal examination and confession. Uh, the unexamined life is, is not worth living. And uh, it's important for us in our spiritual habits uh, to, to slow down and examine our lives. And, and sometimes we can't even remember like the day before or that morning. And, and, and perhaps with this is we invite the Holy Spirit to, to kind of bring to memory some of those things that have happened in our lives and to examine it and say, God, you know, I was wrong here. I confess this. That's an important spiritual habit. Next is solitude. When's the last time you really had some silence? The phone was off. Um, email wasn't available. That you actually had 24 hours to kind of sit down and realize that God runs the world. You don't. Solitude reminds us of that. Just to be quiet to quiet our hearts. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. Whenever I do that, I begin to hear the voice of God a lot more in my life. I, I begin to discern uh, God's Spirit working through individuals in my life and, and where I have clarity about the next step. Another spiritual discipline, dis, uh, spiritual habit is just slowing down. Just slowing down in the midst of activities, in the midst of uh, driving home from work. Maybe 75 miles per hour isn't a good thing on the freeway. Maybe throw all that back a little bit. 
maybe it's going about things just a little bit slower and not trying to hurry through something as to get on to the next thing. Slowing down is a good thing. And I think these spiritual habits begin to form in us a, a, a life, an orientation to live differently. Because in a lot of ways, our world is kind of the opposite of these things. It's noisy. It moves very fast. Next is serving. It's a great spiritual habit. It's to serve others. Serve their needs. Maybe someone in your family. Maybe it's a, a neighbor. Maybe it's an opportunity here at church. But to serve reminds us again that life isn't about uh, just consuming that we are to serve, and it reminds us to live differently. And then lastly, I love this one, is celebration. Some of us just really need to enjoy and celebrate life. And I talked a few weeks ago about memories and, and those moments that we have uh, in our lives, and that's so important for us to celebrate. Uh, a great example, if you want to read more about this, I think, is a person uh, I kind of put in parentheses is, is being present, is a guy like David. I think one of the reasons why he's called a man after God's own heart is because he's fully present. And when it's a time of celebration or when it's a time of of sorrow, he's fully engaged, whatever that moment is. And I also believe that's uh, why Christ uses the example of children as a metaphor or a symbol of faith. To be children of faith because children are fully present. They celebrate. And it reminds us to live differently. Okay, next. Being different, it's not only about conviction, it's not only about requiring spiritual habits, but also around community. I hope you see in, these, in this first chapter here, you'll see it here in, in verses 6 and 7, is uh, Daniel is not alone. He has these three other friends. We see that in verse 6. We see that in verse 7 as the chief official gives them the, their new names. Um, also, we, we see that in verses 12 through 14. It's, it's not simply Daniel saying, hey, I'm going to be different here by myself. I'm not going to eat, eat this, this food and this, drink this wine. I'm actually going to have some, some broccoli and some water. He doesn't go alone. It's us. Please test us. He has community because for us to live differently, we need to have some people journeying with us, some people walking alongside of us. And one of the most valuable things that I've had since coming on staff here at, at Maple Grove Covenant Church is having a community group. For Janiel and I and, and our family to be involved in a community group, um, to meet on a regular basis during the school year, and, and learning and, and hearing about other people in our group that are, are seeking to live differently in their workplaces, in their sports teams they play on, to live differently in their families. And, and as Janiel and I uh, have gotten to know people in our, in our community group. We're just so much in awe of their courage. And one person sharing their faith with a coworker. Another person that, that is on a sports team, that he looks for ways to, to live differently and to share about the love of Christ as, as a way to say, this is, this is why I live differently. It's because of the love and grace of Christ which encouraged, encouraged us and inspired us that we weren't alone, that we had others that were walking with us. To be different requires community. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. And I think it's easy for us to, 
to conform, to, to be like our culture or, or our world. Um, and yet when we have relationships and we have friends around us that we journey with, it, it reminds us again that we need to be different. All right, I want to close with this. As we begin this series in Daniel about faith and culture, um, I, I think it's, uh, as you think about this, uh, I think it's, it's, it kind of breaks into a dichotomy. I think when it comes to faith and culture, sometimes it ha- the argument's on this side, and this is what's called sectarianism. And it, the word is sect. It's where we cut off all ties to culture, and we become our own little sect, and, and we're going to kind of live differently, but we're going to have very little engagement with the world. The Amish are an example of that. That's, all, that's called sectarianism. On the other side, we have syncretism. And syncretism is where you're involved in the culture, but the culture begins to override your message and your way of life. It's where your way of life actually gets watered down by the culture. And I believe that Daniel and the voice of the scriptures is, is right in the middle. It's a vibrant faith. It's an orientation to live in a different way. But it's engaged right on the city streets. Um, it's interfacing uh, with the give and take of that culture and that world. So we're to live different as we live in this culture. And I just want to close with just some things that have inspired me um, more and more in my life to live differently. And I just, you know, I think of the uh, Summer Olympics and Olympic Games, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of Eric Little, if you remember that story. Chariots of Fire, the movie was based on a little bit of his life, and you'll see the video behind me of, of Eric, uh, the actor running. And Eric Little ran the 1924 Olympics, and he's got that, just that great, pulls that head back, I run and I feel God's pleasure moment there. You can see in that scene. Um, don't do that when you're jogging around your neighborhood. People are like, what's going on there? It's good for chariots of fire, not good for you. Um, but it's a true story of Eric Little. Believed in Jesus Christ, gave his life to him. And in the 1924 Olympics, refused to run on the Sabbath. And as a result, he had run three races on the next day. And that clip that you see there is the 400 meters. And he had already run two races, and they really believed that he was just going to die. He was going to have no chance uh, to really finish that race, and he won it. He lived differently. And the story goes on from there. As that for the next 15, 20 years, that little actually chose to be a missionary, uh, to serve God, I believe, in Japan, and to be a light for Christ, and gave up running and, and wanted to be this this different person for the gospel of Jesus Christ and share the gospel. And then World War II came, and, and Little and other Americans were imprisoned there. And while during his imprisonment, uh, he kept living differently, had Bible studies with the inmates, had Bible studies with the, with the guards, uh, would put together games for the kids and the children that were imprisoned as well, and gave his life. And later he died uh, during that imprisonment. But Eric Little is a guy who gave his life to Christ and, and chose to live differently. That inspires me. Uh, what also inspires me uh, recently is a couple I met when I was officiating a wedding recently. And they told me that how they're trying to begin their life anew. Uh, both of them, it's their second marriage, and they've resolved to actually live for God now. And, and to, they gave their hearts to Christ, and they're baptized, and 
their children, their students are in, involved in the youth ministry there, and they just love the church. And for the first time in their entire lives, they're going to church on a regular basis. And in fact, for them, their kids are excited to go to church. They can't believe it. And there's just so much excitement. And they, they told me, you know, our, our, our friends and our, our family, our, our neighbors, they, they kind of knew us before. And, and now they see something different about our lives. And we just want to live for Christ in this way, to live differently, to live differently from what we did in the past and to be a light for Christ, to be salt of the earth. I, I can't tell you when I was talking, and I was in that conversation, how much that filled me up and began to kind of propel me to want to live differently for Christ. Those are two really good examples. And I just think as well, another example that really inspires me is our students. When you think about middle school and high school students in the Maple Grove and Osseo surrounding areas, how many of them are actually found at, at a church on a Sunday morning? Not many. That's my guess. So we have the minority right here in these first few rows. And the devotion that our students have for Christ and for each other is inspiring. That they've chosen from their peers to live differently. To actually stick a, take a stand and say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to hold on to that which is good. And not only are our students here, but they actually sit in the first few rows. How rare is that in a church? Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, every Sunday, I just kind of look over there, and, they, and, and our students inspire me. And to hear some of the stories of our students, and, and some of you are more cognizant of, of these stories than others, but to hear stories about our students that are, that are sharing Christ with their friends, that they're inviting their friends from their, from their classes and from their schools to be a part of Wednesday night youth group or, or to be a part of something, some event. And for 22 of our students to take a week out of their summer schedules to go to a conference, to learn about God, to worship Him, uh, to desire more on what it means to li live differently for Christ today is absolutely remarkable. That inspires me inspires me in terms of my words and my actions. It begins with, with whether it's Eric Little or it's our students or that family that I met at that wedding. Is, is begin, I begin to ask the question, what am I presently doing to be different in my words, in my actions, and in my thoughts? Let's pray. God in heaven, we're so thankful for this Old Testament book of Daniel and for these words to sink in to read and learn about a young man who resolved to live differently God I pray that uh, you would fan into flame um, that inspiration and that courage to live differently God help us to have conviction about living differently. Maybe for some of us, it's just to kind of take a stand this morning or to resolve that I'm going to live for God. I'm going to hold on to that which is good. Also for us, uh, to have spiritual habits. And, and, and maybe it's been some time uh, that we've done any of these. God, help us to move into it without guilt. Help us to move into it without shame. You know, the voice that's going to say, you've, you've tried this before, or, or how many times are you going to do it, sort of thing. Help us just to kind of have a fresh outlook. 
just to receive your grace in that. And then also, God, for us uh, to be different, to be different for you in our own lives, to be an example for you so that your name can be lifted up and that people would inquire, they would desire to find out more about this love that's found in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.